Hello. Good morning, everybody. Bokatov. You hear me? Yes. Good morning. Yes. Yay, you hear me. This is exciting. Okay, we're going to get started. Um, first of all, I'm super excited to be, to be learning with everybody again. Uh, it's been a while. And yay, we're glad to be back. So good morning, good morning. We are, where are we now? We are in Chomish, Chomish sorry, I'm almost giving you the wrong information. We're in Chomish Devarim. It's Parshas Kiseitze, or Kiteitze, if you want to go with a Sephardic accent, which I can pull off for a very short amount of time. I can't actually do it for a long time, uh, but so that's it. So it's either Parshas Kiseitze or Parshas Kiteitze. It is in Chomish Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. It starts at chapter 21, verse 10. Okay, so where are we? Let's, let's stop for a second and say, where are we? We first of all, I want to just say hi to everybody. I'm in my father's house, so in case the background doesn't look familiar, that's why it doesn't look familiar. Um, I'm currently in the United States, and uh, I came for a simcha, and I'm really excited to be here, and I'm so excited for the ability that I'm of Zoom that I can teach from here. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit like excited about the whole situation. Okay, so where are we? It's Chomish Devarim. Devarim is Moshe's final words to the Jewish people. It's, he starts talking on the first day of Shvat in the year 5488. It's 40 years after they left Egypt. I'm, twi I'm twisting over, I'm tripping over my words already. It's 40 years after they've left Egypt. Moshe's going to speak from the first day of Shvat, Rosh Chodesh Shvat, in the year 5488. And he's going to pass away on the seventh of Adar. So the longest period of time that this whole book is, is given to us is a 37-day period just before Moshe is going to pass away. And he's going to be infusing the people with as much everything. It's like his last hurrah, his last swan song, his last, you know, can I give you, what can I infuse you with, what can I give you, what can I, what is the last bit that I could, you know, you're going to the Holy Land. You're going to Eretz Yisrael. I would love to be there. I'm not going to be there. So how can I make your time there the most, the best? How can I help you? How can I help you avoid any kind of pitfalls that are coming along the way? So nice to see people. Um, sorry about that. Um, and so Moshe's really like trying to infuse the people with everything. How much and what can you give them? And that's really what's going on. So as far as the Chomish is concerned, we are about, if you can see me, we're about halfway through now. We're at Parshas Kitetze. After we have Kitavo, Nitzavim and Vayel are going to be together. Then we have Hazinu and then we have Vizot Bracha. Now, if you look at your Jewish calendar, you know that we're going to kind of run into the holidays. So we're going to have different readings going on during that time because holiday readings override the regular Shabbat reading. And so, but that's, and then, and then we're finished and then we're going to start all over again. So A, in terms of where the book is, we're kind of middle to the end, which means that we're really towards the end of Moshe's life. We're really to the end of Moshe's, Moshe's leadership. He's, he's saying goodbye to the Jewish people. And, and I think for a second, it's so important for us to, take a breath and, and, you know, just think about that for a second, you know, like there's a place that Torah is like 
above and beyond. And it's not, you know, um, ooh, I'm learning, I'm losing my English. It's not um, um, tied to like our human, you know, stuff. There's probably a better word for that, but I'm not remembering it, right? Um, but there's also the relatable, maybe relatable, maybe relatable. Um, yeah, no, no, wait, not relatable because Torah always has to be relatable. Let me just correct it. Torah always has to be relatable. But the question is, is it, do we ever look at Torah on our terms? You know, me, you know, little Rivka Marga in my, in 2020, you know, how does it, how do I see it? You know, in my human relationship, in my human life, in my human experience, how does Torah speak to me on that level? Yeah. Did that make more sense? Somebody, anybody? Okay. So for a second, just think for a second of, of the where the people are, where the Jewish people are at this point. They're at the banks of the Jordan River. Okay. We've, I've said this to everybody who I've learned with multiple times. The Jews are standing on the other side of of the Dead Sea, essentially. And on a clear day, you could see Israel. And Moshe's not going there. And the Jewish people have lost an entire generation of people who did not want to go into the land of Israel. And now we have the people who are like, yeah, let's do this. We want to go. We want to conquer. We want to change. We want to like, yes, let's do this. And and still Moshe's still with them. And, and they know that going over means that Moshe doesn't go. Moshe doesn't cross with them. And they have to be conflicted about that situation because as excited as we always are for something new and some, something exciting, a new challenge, you know, leaving the old one is, is hard. And it was an awesome one. Okay. Let's not, you know, it's not like, Oh, we're leaving a kind of situation and we're going to go into a new, we don't know. We're leaving something awesome. They were in the desert with Moshe. They were eating mana. They had revelation. It was like so clear. And now they're like, you know, they're excited. It's, it's, this is the purpose of creation, but they have, they have to, like on some human level, they have to be a little bit conflicted. I think if you don't buy my challenge, you don't have to, you don't have to agree with me, but I, I think there is a place where we do have to tap into that reality a little bit. Um, okay. So that's where we are. So we're kind of towards the end of Moshe's life. We're also about halfway through the book at this point. Um, uh, one second. There's something here that's disturbing me, so I'm just going to stop that. Oh, one second. Okay, I, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, sorry. Tech is not my, my strong point, but we'll try to do it anyway. Okay, now here's the story. Let's look at our Parsha. Where are we? We're Parsha's Kitetze. Like I said, it's chapter 21, verse, it starts from verse 10. We like to start our Parsha and give a little bit of a roundup. Is there anybody here who has a Chomish with them right now or has access to? Okay, good. Now, here's the situation. This Parsha has 74 mitzvahs. Now, in case you're wondering, like, is that a lot or a little? It is the Parsha with the most mitzvahs in the entire Torah. There's a lot of Torah portions that have a lot of mitzvahs. But this one has the most mitzvahs in the entire book. So in order to get a roundup of the Parsha, if we went through 74 mitzvahs, we would have no time to talk about anything. So what I would like you to do, open up the Chumash. It starts from chapter 21, verse 10. It goes till, it's a kind of short Parsha. It goes until, let me find it for you. Uh, it goes till chapter 25, verse 19. I would like you to find a mitzvah. 
just pick any mitzvah, look through, and we're going to, we'll take two minutes, everybody find a mitzvah, something that is interesting, something that is weird, something that is disturbing, something that is unexpected, something that you love. All of those count as, you know, they're all here. And then we're going to hear from everybody. You'll unmute your mics one at a time. I want to give, you'll give us a chapter and a verse and give us a mitzvah. So we get a little bit of a roundup and then we'll talk about the things that I prepared and please God will have enough time and everything will be wonderful and it'll be fine. Okay. One more minute, maybe 30 seconds. Is that ready? Orly, you ready? Orly, unmute, go. Um, chapter and verse. Actually, chapter Chaf Dalit, which is 24. Okay. 24-4. Ega. What do we have? Tell me. It says, when a man takes himself... Uh, should I do English or... English, which, okay? which, English okay. is great. Okay. Um, when a man takes himself a wife and makes... And marries her if then he does not like her because he found something immoral about her he shall then write for her a bill of divorce and put it in her right i think i'm in the wrong wait Vega, where are you chapter Chav dalit Chav dalit no what do you say 24 which verse uh aleph oh aleph aleph 24 one okay sorry. sorry fine sorry i'm uh, like that's not what it says in my flemish really? okay yeah i was looking at pasuk four Okay. Oh, I was in the wrong oh, okay. No, but like we're good. Go, okay. go back, go back. 24 okay. 1. That's where we are. Right. So if you take a man, if a man takes a woman, so he should write her a bill of divorce and put it in her hand and thus release her from his house. Okay. What, what? And then, well, I, what I found disturbing was the next part. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then it says, then she then leaves her ha his house. And if she then goes and marries another man and the second man, man hates her and writes for her a bill of divorce and puts it in her hand and thus releases her from his house. Or if the second man who married her dies, then her first husband who divorced her may not take her again to be his wife after she was defiled for it is an abomination before the eternal. Yes. Okay. What is it? What is how it's okay? Tell me what bothers that confusing that like if things were done properly and whatever, and these people want to get back together, the Taurus is like puts a stop to that. Right. So the, so the question uh, the bigger question of marriage and divorce and how things work together is the, it's the interruption. That's the issue. It's because she was married to somebody else in the interim that breaks the, that breaks the relationship from Torah point of view. So okay. That that yes, but it is it is kind of yeah, it's in it's an interesting one. Good point. Okay. Think, like I don't know in terms of like Elul and our relationship to Hashem, like I find it interesting though because we have that option of like leaving and coming back because we never truly leave, I guess. But exactly, exactly. And the question is, do we really engage in a marriage with the other ever? And and even though we sometimes think we do, we're going to get to that. It doesn't actually really happen. Thank you, Orly. Who else has a mitzvah for us? I have 22. Chayalea. Chapter, 22. 22. Verse Vav. Chapter 2. Chapter 22. Verse 6. Rega, let me catch up to you. 22. 6. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, through 7. If a bird's nest chances before you on a road on any tree. It's funny. This was just mentioned in the last class. Or on the ground and it contains fled... fled Fledglings or eggs. If the mother is sitting upon the fledglings or upon the eggs, you shall not take the mother upon the young. You shall send away the mother and then you may take the young for yourself in order 
that it should be good for you and you should lengthen your days. What was interesting for you about that? Or is just, um, you're just, or you're just bringing it up. It's just fun. I'm just, it's just kind of randomly placed a little bit in context with what's going on. Like it seems a little bit, I mean, I guess they're all random, but um, it's, it's just interesting. And that your length, your days will be lengthened in comparison to, to honoring your, your, your teachers and your parents. That's the other mitzvah that we were saying in the other class is when your days will be lengthened. And so it's just like, what is the connection between, I mean, I guess that the connection between the two is that you're honoring the parent and that you're sparing the parent from seeing, seeing her, her child being taken away. So. Yep. Yep. I think there's, there is a place where Torah definitely addresses, you know, feelings towards non-human creatures. Okay. Who has another mitzvah? I do. Okay. Allie. Uh, Was that Allie? Uh, no, Rav Kashira. Sorry, Rifka Shira, go for it. Sorry, I saw uh, an Ali. Ali also. Ali, you'll go next. Go. No problem. Uh, it's also in chapter twenty-two. Uh huh. Um, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Okay. Met- oh yeah, sorry. Go, 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 yeah. Start. I'll catch up. Um, if a man comes upon a virgin who is not engaged and seizes her and lies with her, and they are discovered, the man who lay with her shall pay the girl's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife. Because he's viola- violated her, he can never have the right to divorce her. Um, I find that one hard. <laughs> okay. I mean, because besides it, the obvious, besides the obvious, but okay, what? Just because it seems like it's a very unfair, it seems unfair on the part of the woman. Right, right. So the question is, and this is something that I struggle with a lot, is how does our 2020 knowledge line up with Torah? Because it's easy to say, it was a different time and it's a different era and blah, blah, blah. But if Torah is in fact eternal, then how does the way we relate to women today, how does that line up with, with uh, what Torah is saying? Um, I don't have all the answers. I have very few answers. Um, but I think that's something that it does bear, in, something for us to bear in mind is it wasn't 2020. And, and the play, what happens to such a woman afterwards then then the question is what happens to her does she go get an apartment in chicago and you know lives with you know gets a job at wherever and like or is that not the reality that she was dealing with and here Torah's coming in and protecting her from a from a terrible situation meaning it starts off terrible and it's going to go worse so on some level that answer sits with me and on a deeper level it doesn't really (laughs) i don't know if that made it worse for everybody but there's my honesty okay Ali, you had a mitzvah for us. Yes. Also, chapter 22, uh-huh. um, verse 8. If you build a new house, you shall make a fence for your roof so that you will not place blood in your house if a fall and one falls from it. I feel like I've, like, my whole life I've heard about that. And I just think it's a nice, like, Jewish value type thing that we're, like, looking out for others. And we're not just, oh, well, sorry, you fell. Like, we, we care about others and have, like, we actually have to go out of our way to make sure that we're protecting them. Right. And what's interesting is that the Talmud talks about in this context that it actually includes all kinds of unsafe things, shaky ladders in your house, uh, dangerous animals, uncovered pits, all different kinds of things where you could say, you know, Torah describes this person as the fallen one falls. It was destined. It was God. What do you, you know, leave me out of this. It wasn't me. It was going to happen anyway. And yet we don't say 
we have no responsibility, you know, and, and, you know, like that place of questioning where does, you know, where is the positive side of Jewish guilt? That, that sense of responsibility of saying, wait a second, I need to make sure that my, my place is secure. My place is safe. My place is a healthy zone and not say, oh, you know, poor me, poor me. But I'm saying that I think this is perhaps the positive side of that feeling responsible for everything and everything, everything around you to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we know, even though we know that it was destined to happen. And Rashi says, well, then why should it happen through you? But I think that that place of accepting responsibility and understanding that we do impact those around us. And we can't just say, well, you know, tough, you know, it happened, you know, there's nothing to do about it. And it's not coming from the litigious American place of, oh my gosh, I'm going to get sued, blah, blah, blah. But it's this place of moral responsibility to make sure that your place is safe. And I think that's where it's coming from. Thanks, Ali. Who else has a mitzvah for us? I do. Razel. Yeah. Um, 24, verse 5. 24, 5. Okay. When a man takes a wife who is new to him, he must not go out to war in the army and no military duty may be imposed on him. He must remain free for his own house for one year and must make his wife whom he has taken happy. Right. Yeah. I like this. It also reminds me of like everybody who got married this year and like, has been in quarantine together and they've like not been able to go anywhere and they like had so much quality time in their first year of marriage. And I guess that's in some ways how it was supposed to be. Right. I, I mean, well, let's say no, cause it's not really supposed to be in quarantine, but yes, that played. So we would like, we, yeah, but yes, the, the, the positive side of it, I will point out that this is actually only talking about a situation where uh, it's what's called a milchemet reshut. And generally in Judaism, we have two kinds of wars. We have milchemet reshut, which is like the king wants a war of expansion or whatever, in which case we have exemptions. There's also what's called a milchemet mitzvah, which is a war of defense. A milchemet mitzvah, it's a, it's a mitzvah to do this, this, this you know, it's, it's a commandment, whether it's fighting on Malik, whether it's um, a war of defense. And in that case, nobody gets exempt. Nobody gets exempt. So it's, it's, in th- like, I think it's also nice to have this place of boundaries and you don't see my hands, but they're, I'm talking with my hands, by the way. Um, so, um, but I think this place of boundaries and of understanding that there, it's not really a blanket statement covering every single case. It's, it's a good ideal, but it isn't always practical to, you know, to have that. So thank you for bringing that one, Razel. Who else has a mitzvah for us? How are we doing? We're doing we still I do. Some- chapter 23. Chapter 23. 25. 23, 25. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat as many grapes as you desire until you are satiated. Say- uh-huh. no. Satiated. Uh, but you shall not put any into your vessel. And I think going back to the one, like two previous where we talked about making sure that your neighbor is taken care of, you know that like you won't be without if, you know, watching out for your neighbors. Right. So this mitzvah specifically is actually talking about a worker. When, you, when you're working in a vineyard, you mm. cannot be prevented from eating while you work. It also has uh, ramifications for animals. If you have an animal that's threshing a field, they can't be muzzled, so they're not allowed to eat. It's not talking about stom, like going in and making sure. There are other mitzvahs that do cover responsibility to the other. And Israel, as the Jews are crossing into Israel and it's going into an agricultural society, 
there are a lot of agricultural laws specifically to make sure that other people have. We have, for example, peya, which we know from the word peyot, the, which is the corners of a, a boy's head, but it starts from an agricultural term that you need to leave the corner of your field for people to come in and glean as they wish. If anybody's familiar with the Book of Ruth, we had that. If, if crops fall down when you're gathering, you're not allowed to pick them back up. There's all different kinds of mitzvahs connected to agricultural, specifically to make sure that the neighbor and the, and the destitute and all those people are, are taken care of. This mitzvah specifically is not talking about the neighbors. It's talking about workers. And, and I think like that place of, you know, I'm not saying that if you're working in like an expensive candy store, you should just be eating candy all day long, but the place of like, there's none for the workers and there's only for sale, that's kind of what the Torah is, the Torah is addressing, that type of thing. It, it, it's not talking about a chocolate factory. It's talking about, you know, it's talking about a, a, it's talking about a, a vineyard. It's talking about the next one. It's going to talk about uh, if you're, if, if the grains, the next passage talks about if you're dealing with the grains, so you're allowed to take with your hands, but you're not allowed to cut with a knife. The place of being able to, you know, not be surrounded by all the goodness and not be allowed to have any of it. But yes, the Torah also protects, protects the other. Okay, who else has a mitzvah for us? Gabriella. Um, 22, number five. Male garb shall not be on a woman, and a man shall not wear a woman's garment. For anyone who does so is an abomination of Hashem. I find this so interesting because you can say back then, most of these guys are wearing galabeas. It's like a dress. Right. So that is today a woman's garment, you know, but what at that moment were they thinking as woman's garment? Were they thinking of it as a scarf? Were they probably wearing turbans? So what were they thinking? Whereas today, you know, a lot of women are wearing pants because that's the, the pant, you know, the dress of today. However, right. at the same time, we don't really evolve ourselves around what the the Western world really says is what we're supposed to do or really, you know, the Eastern world either. So I find this interesting on what they were defining as, as those gods. Right. Um, so first of all, I don't know. I don't know what, no, I don't know what they were wearing or they weren't wearing. Rashi talks about, um, Rashi talks about this place of wanting to wear the clothes of the other specifically as well, it's, I'm using the word infiltration, but he uses it as, as a way to get into the other and, and to be able to like have access to the other rather than saying, oh, this is what's comfortable to me. And this is what, so first of all, we absolutely pay attention to Western society, our, our fashion shifts and changes, you know, all the time. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying it's the reality that we do in fact. And so what is defined as men's and women's garments um, up until a very, very, very recently was quite defined what it was. And you're right, it changes with, you know, what historically they were wearing and they were wearing that changes. But I'm saying there's definitely this place of what's women's garments, what's not women's garments. Um, uh, and here, and Rashi is, is saying that it's definitely sort of in that he's 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 reading it as a sense of sexual impropriety that the reason you want to wear this is because you want to be able to have access to people of the other sex um you know what does it mean today it's it, the, the jury is out on what that means uh you know Rabbi yosef who is uh was a an like a, a, a halachic codifier par excellence says that pants are no longer considered men's clothing since they have specific uh, women's cuts and women's, you know, women's jeans, all that stuff. It's a women's, it, I'm not going into that whole conversation of what, what is and what isn't. Um, 
it's, I think there's a place of a sensitivity, you know, of who am I and what I am and what is beautiful for me. And can we fight, you know, society? That's a very, very valid question, I think. You know, can we fight society's uh, um, I'm losing a word, not requirements, but like expectations or, or demands of us. And that's a challenge. Can I stay, can I stay true to who I believe I am and what looks beautiful for me? Or do I have to like go with the flow? It's a, it's a, it's a good question. Thanks. You got, thanks, Gabriella. Who has a mitzvah for us? We can take a few more. I don't know if everybody's going to get a chance to give us one, but who has some more? We can take a few more. I have one. Go, um, Shani. Chapter 23, verse 22. 23, 22. Okay. If you make a vow before the eternal your God, you must not delay in fulfilling it, for the eternal your God will surely claim it from you, and you will then incur the punishment for a sin. Okay. I think, like, I found it interesting because we often, like, make a vow to Hashem when it suits us. And then when it doesn't, when I got my parking. I'm, I got my parking spot. I'm good. I, I'm off the hook now, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this is actually like a, a, a few psukim going together. Uh, it starts with the, with the vows, specifically talking about sacrifices that we we vow to give. So we don't have a temple right now, so that's not so relevant for us. But it does finish off with everything that comes out of your mouth. You should uh, you should do you should be careful with what you say. Um, and to do the things that you say you're going to do, which I think is such an important uh, lesson. Thank you, Shani, for pointing that out to us. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. it's not a matter of just being comfortable with what we we wish and promise God when things are tough, but can we actually have the stability and the the honesty to pay up when you know when things are okay and say, and to remember what it was that we said in our moment of fright or crisis or whatever. And then to be able to say, I, I really did mean it, you know, does my, is my word a word? Is what I say valid? And yes, that's, that's super important. Thank you, Shani. Who's going to give us one more mitzvah? One more. I have one. Heather, go for it. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chapter 24, verse 17. Huh? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Do not be devious in the judgment of the proselyte or orphan, and you may not secure as collateral a widow's garment. I thought that was interesting because you would think it's obvious, right? You know, you don't, um, you don't take advantage or exploit someone's vulnerabilities. But I think that the fact that the Torah is specifically spelling it out means that we need to be really, not just the proselyte, the orphan, the widow, but we need to be really careful about protecting those who are vulnerable. Absolutely, and I want to point out First of all, I didn't do a count before this class. The Torah mentions widows, orphans, and proselytes multiple times. It's not like once. It's multiple times we have this injunction. And notice it doesn't say a poor widow, a poor convert. Uh, it doesn't say that. The, the fact of the status of being a widow or being an orphan is in of itself the place that we have to be extra careful. I want to say something. This is my personal opinion. <laughs> Okay, this is not Torah. This is just my, uh, my personal opinion. So you do not have to like go along with, with what I'm saying. Uh, I feel that there is a place that we often in ourselves have a space that is orphaned. And there's a space that we have that is widowed. And I feel that we have to also remember to be nice to ourselves. 
And I think that there's a place like it's so easy. Okay, it's not so easy. If it was so easy, the Torah wouldn't mention it multiple times. But it's easier to be nice to the other and to remind ourselves we have to be kind to them because they're vulnerable and they are suffering. But do we ever do that to ourselves? Do we ever give ourselves the, the permission? Do we ever give ourselves the permission to say, in this area, I'm very vulnerable. In this area, I'm an orphan. I, I, I've suffered loss and I need to be I don't need to like pour salt on my own wounds, you know, just because, you know, oh, I could do everything and I'm wonderful and I could like be nice to yourself, be kind to yourself, be gentle, be forgiving of yourself. You know, it's, I, I'm going to make one last little plug here and then we have stuff that I would like to share with you. Uh, you know, it's Elul. It's Elul and we're kind of looking towards Rosh Hashanah. Today is the fifth day of the month of Elul. So we're, you know, three weeks away, about three weeks away from Rosh Hashanah. Um, and I want us to train ourselves. This is my first blessing for all of us. We should look forward to the, to the high holidays with love and with peace and not with fear. We need to be able to say, we're coming to talk to our father. We have a better relationship, a worse relationship, but he really is there and he loves us and he wants the best for us. And I'm not saying we don't have to like clean up the stuff that we need to clean up. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying we get a pass on not becoming better people. We should work to be better people, but we have to do it from a place of love and we have to do it from a place of caring for ourselves and for our relationship with God. It's not, a, I'm not going to say that fear and guilt don't work. They do work. If they didn't work, nobody would ever use them they're not long-term motivators and they're not healthy motivators. The better place for us to want to work, Yale, if you could please mute your phone, your, Yale, if you could please mute your camera, that would be great. If the place that we need to work from is from this place of wanting to be close, not because, oh my gosh, I'm going to get punished. I'm going to die. It's going to be terrible. Like that's not, that's not what we want to do. We want to want to have a relationship with God. We want to want to be a better person, not just because, you know, somebody's going to see that we're nasty because we want to be better people. And if we can do it from a place of love and kindness, it is just, you cannot compare. You just cannot compare that place of, of the work that we do from a place of love and kindness for ourselves and for others and for our relationship with God. So I just want to like put that out there. I, I want us to be able to go into the high holidays with hope and with love and with, with this, not with this. So that's my first bracha to us. Okay. We got a lot of mitzvahs. Is there anybody who feels that they, they didn't have a chance to share and would like to let me know. Otherwise I, Kaibushka, you want to give us one? No. Okay. Yes. I don't hear you. And I think it was twenty-three two. Twenty-three two. Okay. Ish. Okay. Okay. Don't have the text in front of me right now. Okay. But um, it if a man loses his cast. Is injured, or 
or his member is cut, then he can't be part of Caleb Hashem. Right. So I'm wondering why it, it's very strange to me because if a person is injured, that's not something they did to themselves. So why that prohibit them? Well, I'm not even sure it kills Hashem. Right. So, so the question. The congregate, like, does that mean the Jewish people or? Okay, so you don't you don't lose your Jewishness if you if you uh, if you don't have any testicles. That's not what it's saying. This is actually a prohibition against uh, against uh, vasectomy and doing different kinds of things uh, to a man to make sure that he doesn't have uh, that he can't have children. Um, it's a it's the place of it being willing, and then the question is who can they marry? Can they not marry? It's a complicated situation. I don't know enough about it to speak intelligently. Um, it is enough that I could share your the slight discomfort with this, like this isn't fair. Um, yeah, so I don't know, I don't actually know what it looks like in, you know, as it comes down in halacha today. I don't know, but I do know that this is part of the, one of the, one of the sources for the prohibition against neutering animals and people and all this kind of stuff. It's like, it's, it's a Torah, it's an issue in Torah. I'm not saying don't neuter those stray cats. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying it's an issue. Okay. okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So there's a couple, there's a lot, okay. Like I said, we got a lot of mitzvahs in the Torah. I want to talk, I want to kind of go to the beginning and to the end, but we're going to go to the end and then we're going to go to the beginning. If you go all the way to the end of the Parsha, uh, which is at chapter 25, verse 17, we have the mitzvah to remember Amalek. We have the mitzvah to remember what Amalek did to us when we left Egypt uh, how they came when we were tired and weary. Um, I probably have a good English here. Da -da -da. Yeah. They came, they killed us, they attacked us, but da da da. Um, and to, and we should, uh, we should, we should eradicate the memory of Amalek and we should remember and we shouldn't forget. So what do I want to say? I want to say that the place of Amalek in Hasidus We've talked about it a lot of times, and I think it's something that's a familiar, a familiar topic, so I don't want to go into it in great length. But I do want to say, as we're in this month of, of movement towards goodness and movement towards change and movement, you know, if we don't make a, you know, if Elul doesn't shake us up to say, yeah, let's do something, then, then, uh, then, it, then it's like not so cool. Um, so we're in the time frame that tells us to make change and to become a better person and to fix up things. And the place of Amalek, as it is described in Hasidus, is that like that cold water cooling you off saying, eh, it doesn't matter. Who do you think you are anyway? It's not going to make a difference. Oh, you really think you're going to change that habit? That's Amalek. That's a mullik. And by remembering that that's a mullik, we get to fight it. The place of saying, you know, if we remember the Amalek story, Amalek had no skin in the game. Amalek had nothing to fear or gain from attacking the Jewish people. They were just randomly like, and they got, and they got, they, they lost terribly, right? And Rashi gives the example, which I think is so, such a, a, a crazy visual. Amalek is like, the, the person who comes to a boiling hot bathtub and they jump in and they get burned from head to toe, but
but all they do is they cool it off for the next person. And a malik is that attitude that tells us, who do you think you are? What are you so excited about? Why do you think you're going to be different? Why do you think this year it's going to be different or it's going to change? Ladies, that's a malik. Don't listen. Don't listen. We are, they, they are not there for any purpose except to, to be a barrier for us. And if we can say, I'm not buying your argument. I can change. I can be a better person. I can be a healthier person. I could, I could, and, I, and I'm able to, and I have all the resources to do that. Then we have a fighting chance of getting away from a malik. If we just buy their argument, and it's so seductive. You know, my sister always says to me, how come when somebody says to us, wow, you look great. Oh, you did such a good job. That's amazing. We're like, eh, whatever. But when they tell us, oh my gosh, you're fat, ugly, and, and you know, and stupid, we buy that automatically. Like, what is it about us that buys into that negative thinking so easily? And the empowering words are so much harder for us to hear. So this, I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying this to anybody else. It is a Malik telling us that we can't change. It is a Malik telling us that we can't make a difference. It's a Malik that says nobody cares. It's not true. It's not true. We are able, we can, we have to have a plan. We have to be focused. We have to reach out for our support groups. All of those things are true. But the underlying first thing that we have to actually remember is that we can and that we want to. Because when we want to, then we can deal with it. Then we can make it happen. If we buy into the negative thinking, then forget about it. There's nothing to talk about. We're, we're lost before we ever try. Um, but we can. So I want to I mention the ending of the Parsha, which finishes, you know, Moshe, like I said, he's talking to all of the Jewish people. It's the end of his conversation with the Jewish people. He's going to pass away very soon. I don't know exactly where on the timeline it is, but we see we're halfway through the Chomish it's very close to the end of his life. And he tells us, remember, remember that that is not a helpful paradigm for you. Remember that that attitude of you can't, take it out. Fight it, eradicate it. There's not one little bit of it that remains that is healthy for you. That attitude, that little voice in your head, not one milligram of that. I don't know if that's how we measure sound. Not one bit of that is healthy for you. Get rid of it. It's not good for you. So that is the end of the Parsha. There's lots more misses that we didn't get a chance to do, but I actually want to go to the beginning of the Parsha because it's kind of weird. Okay? What's the beginning of the Parsha? If you're with me, it's chapter 21, verse 10. The, the, the first Aliyah has a slew of mitzvahs that are really weird, I would like to say. Okay? It talks about, If you go to war on your enemies, then Hashem will get, and Hashem, that Hashem will, you will be victorious and you will have captives. And what happens if you see in the captives a beautiful woman and you desire her and you want to take her for a wife? And you then Torah gives us the, the, the procedure of what do you do? You bring her into your house and you shave her head and you let her nails grow and you take off her beautiful clothing. And uh, she sits there for a month. And then if you want her, then you need, you still want to marry her, then you need to. If you still want to have a relationship with her, then you need to marry her. And if you don't, then you need to set her free and you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to have her be a slave or anything. You just need to let her go. So that's what in, in halachic terminology is called the fatar, the beautiful woman, a beautiful captive who we find, we find in battle. And we're going to, we're going to come back to the story for a second. Parenthetically, in the line of, 
you can't ever win. <laughs> so there was actually um, uh, a, there's actually talk in the UN who love Israel on a regular basis, but they were calling the Israeli soldiers up on racist charges because they don't rape the Arab women in their wars. So in the light of you can't win, so whatever. So that's, so here we have the, uh, the what happens with soldiers and we're gonna get back to this, we're gonna get back to this beautiful woman. The next thing that happens that Torah is gonna talk about is, and I'll tell you why I'm linking all these three things. Um, the next thing that happens, what happens if a man has two, two wives, he has a wife that he loves and a wife that he, she's described as Hasnua, he, he despises her. Um, and they both have children, and it goes into the laws of inheritance. If the if the firstborn son is the is the son of the not beloved wife, he still is the firstborn, and he's entitled to all the rights of the firstborn. So we have a little bit of a touching on the laws of inheritance over there. And then the next thing, the last thing that we have in our first aliyah is what happens to a person. What happens to somebody who has a a wayward and rebellious son? Those are like words you don't use so often in, in random conversation. But uh, so what happens if you have like this out of control kid, doesn't listen to his mother, doesn't listen to his father, and the whole conversation of uh, the parents bring him to the basin and they judge him and um, they come and they, they say, we can't deal with this child. And the halacha in the books is that this child needs to be stoned. Um, and that all the Jewish people will see and they will learn a lesson. Okay, now, if I, couldn't, if I could have picked three stranger mitzvahs, I probably couldn't have found them, and for sure not in a thing. Rashi says that we're talking about uh, a downward slope of behavior. Rashi says, he, you're starting off with a not great point. You're, you're, taking, you're, you're taking a woman, which we're gonna get back to the conversation. You're having, a, you're, the first, your wife is this woman who, Shouldn't have probably shouldn't have married her to begin with. And then what happens? You actually marry her. You end up not liking her. You despise her. And then she gives you your firstborn son. You don't want him to inherit. And the child is out of control. Da, 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 da. Rashi's like, this is just one big balagan. It's one big mess. You don't even want to go there. Just, just don't. <sighs> you know, Hasidus always flips everything. Hasidus flips everything on his head and says, you know, what's going on over here? So, uh, I want to, I really want to talk about, which is a weird thing for me to want to talk about. I want to talk about this, this Yifator, this, this beautiful woman and get back to her a second, but I want to say one quick little parenting thing. Okay. When we talk about this, this rebellious child, um, it tells us in verse, uh, 18, right? My eyes are, yeah. Chapter 21, verse 18, it tells us that when you have this child who's rebellious, he does not listen to the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. And one of the, as a parenting relationship thing, is that when uh, parents don't speak in the same voice, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for a, a very, very difficult situation. You know, when it's a situation where mom and dad have the same values and have the same view and can I have extra whatever, fill in the blanks, and you, they know, oh, I'm going to play my mother off against my father, that's already, uh, we're running into an issue over here. Um, and as, as a relationship thing, I think it's very important for, uh, for, for Spice 
it's not a real word, but that's what we call the people you marry in our family because they add flavor. Um, but the spice need to really be on the same page. They need to really, uh, they need to, they need to talk about their values and their and their things from the things like extra computer time to, you know, later bedtime, whatever it is, you know, we, it has to be a situation where we are in fact talking with the same voice. The Gemara does say, and I'll just put this out there for all of us who are a little bit worried about the situation. There's an opinion in the Gemara that such a story never ever happened. There was no, situ no such situation where the parents brought their child to the basin and said, we can't deal with this child, this child's out of control and the basin ends up killing the child. Um, I will say, as a mother of multiple children, Baruch Hashem, there are many times you, want to, you, you do want to kill your children. It's not normal to actually kill them. You want to. It's normal to want to kill them. It's not normal to actually kill them. Um, so the Gemara actually brings an opinion that, uh, that it never happened. And the only reason that it's there is to, for us to actually learn. And what can we learn? One of the things that I want to point out that we can learn is, is our house giving mixed messages? And how are we dealing with that? You know, we could be doing different things and still be giving the same message. It doesn't necessarily mean like if the father and the mother are doing different things, it doesn't necessarily mean that the kids are getting mixed messages. It might be, but I think sometimes even when we are officially doing the same thing, we're not really speaking the same thing. And, and that I want to point out is for ourselves and for, for our relationships and for everything, we need to like re really be clear about what it is that we're saying. That's that. I want to talk about this, this, uh, this, because the whole parsha is called Kiteitse, when you will go, right? Kiteitse le milchama, when you go to war. And, and Moshe is telling the people, here is the reality. You were in Egypt. You guys were slaves. Well, maybe this generation wasn't all slaves because a lot of that generation, you know, died out. But in Egypt, you were slaves. You did not have the ability to make a choice. You had to do whatever you were told or else you know, slave situation. We don't, we don't want to get into that. Then you were in the desert and in the desert, everything was wonderful. You, you, you could choose to have a relationship with God, but it was so awesome. And it was so immediate. The response was so immediate. You didn't really have so much free choice. You know, we talk about in the desert when they ate mana, right? So the question is, how did they get the mana? And, and it was like, you know, if, if you were on a diet, you would never do this, you know, on a diet, we know you don't weigh yourself every single day, but the mana was a weighing yourself every single day. Where, how is my relationship with God? If the mana came at my doorstep, that was one thing. If it came a foot away from my door, if it came out in the, out in the fields, it was, you were, you, you knew exactly where you stood in your relationship with God. There was no fudging the situation. You either were in or out, or you knew exact. So like, was I really going to like do whatever I wanted to do? I was going to see the payback tomorrow. That's not so, you know, that's not really what I wanted to do. Moshe said, you guys are going into the land of Israel. It is very, very normal for you to say, you're going to be facing war. You're going to be facing challenges. First of all, we talk about they are in fact going to be facing war. And, and what happens when we see somebody beautiful in a war? Do we just rape her on the sidelines? Do we, do we, what do we do? And Torah says, can you picture this woman as part of your life, can she be the mother of your children? We're not, can't, not, oh, I, you know, it's battle. I could die any minute and I'm like so stressed. And boom, and I'm going to just rape somebody on the side. There's like, no, 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 no. You are 
you are a warrior of God. The people who went out for the wars for God weren't just like, you know, whoever's like not doing anything, let's go send them out to war. These were righteous people. They were going to fight God's wars. And I'm not saying like crusader type of we're going to fight God's wars. These were like, they took tzaddikim. They, one of the questions that they asked, there was somebody, there was a, a Kohen, he was called Mashuach, Mashuach Milchama. He was anointed to lead the people into war. And one of the questions he asked the people is, are you afraid to go fight? And he wasn't, he wasn't asking, are you afraid? Every normal person is afraid of war. He was asking, are you nervous that you don't have the merits to get out of this alive? Because if that's the case, go home. We're not talking about, are you afraid? Everybody's afraid. Every semi-normal person is afraid of war. The, 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 the question of going, who's going to fight? These are righteous people who believe that they have enough merit to go to that war and come back alive. And now we're saying you're so overcome with desire for this woman, you can't possibly control yourself. Torah's like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You're going to see this woman. And before you decide to like, I could die any minute. I have to like prove that I'm still alive. Torah's saying, can this woman be the mother of your children? Can you bring her to the Pesach Seder? Could you bring her to the next bar mitzvah in the family? Because if the answer is no, leave her there. Don't bring her back. And if you're not sure, take her home and let her hang out in the family. Let her be there. Let her be where people are going and saying, how does this woman fit into my life? My, not my, oh my gosh, I'm going to die life, but my, like my real life, you know, my day to day life, my interactions all the time. How does this person fit into there? And then if she still, you could see her as part of the picture, then Sababa, like marry her and she has all the full rights as a wife. None of this, you know, secondary status. And if you say, you know what, actually, no. So then she's free. You can't say, oh, she, she, I can't see her as a wife, but I can see her as a slave. No, 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 no. Once you already put her into the status, then forget about it. You can't, you can't make her a slave anymore. Now, okay, it doesn't really make me feel so much better. It makes me feel a little bit better, but I, I, in the, Oh my gosh, in the one and a half minutes that I still have, I don't really, I'm stealing them. I apologize. I'm going to give you a little bit of what says. So Hasidah says something. When we, you know, we talk about, in, in El, we always talk about the field, the work in the field. But, but uh, life, the soul, it's always described as a war. Our relationship with the world is described as a war. Um, and what does Hashem tell us? First of all, first of all, kitetze lemochama alavecha. Al, on your enemies. You're going to war on your enemies. We are going into this making a, the world a home for God battle with the attitude of we can. We can win this. We will win this. So that's the first thing. Just like we said with, with the end with Amalek. We can win this war. And if we go in with that attitude, then Hashem says, you'll be successful and you will do it. And what's going to happen when you go there? you're going to see something beautiful and glittering and desirous. Now, we could say, that, you know, like, whatever. It's, like, shiny and beautiful and, and, and uh, sorry. It's, you know, shiny and beautiful and, and we want it. Hasidus says, why do we want something? Why do we want something? Because we have a spiritual connection to it. You know, if you talk to the nutritionists, kids crave things or adults crave things when you're missing nutrients. When you see something, you see when, when the body sees this beautiful thing in the war that we're fighting for Hashem, and you say, I want that, it's something that has been enclosed, it's been captured 
by the Yetzirah, it's been captured by the negative forces, but we see that there is something beautiful and shiny that we could really incorporate into our lives. And Hasidah says, you know what that is? That's the neshama. That's our soul that we've, it's been in a body and it hasn't been fed a diet of holiness and, and mitzvahs. It's been fed a diet of, I'm going to go out on the limb and this is my bias of Twitter and Instagram and, and whatever. And, and it's been encrusted. It's been dressed in fake, beautiful clothing. And yet we see, we lust it. We want it so much that we know that means there is something deep and powerful here that we need to tap into. And we need to take it to ourselves. We need to release it from the forces of the Yetzirah. We need to bring it in. We need to, we know that in Hasidus, hair and nails are all forms of klipa. These are all forms of negative forces. We need to remove the negative forces that have captured our beautiful soul. And we need to open it up and let it come back to our home, to Hashem, to this place of Torah and mitzvahs. And when we do, then we really are be able to be married. The soul is able to become, is able to come back to Hashem, to its source, to be where it's meant to be, not captured away in some, in some sad battlefield, you know, like I always think of these, the Sifat Torah as like the cheerleaders on a, on a, at a, at a modern day, uh, sports team they're they're like you know distracting on the side but like when you see them and you say i want when we see something in in our lives when we we're in the we're in a battle we're trying to make this home this work we're trying to make this world a home for hashem and we sometimes see something and it doesn't seem to be externally holy and beautiful uh but we just want it so then we need to ask ourselves, maybe it is something that I'm supposed to be taking back to Hashem. Maybe it's, you know, maybe I'm being blinded by my physical shell and I'm only reacting to the external. But sometimes we're like, wait a second, no, I think there's something there that I really need to be brought back to, that needs to be brought to Hashem. So I want to give us a bracha. I'm sorry, I went over time. But I want to give us a bracha. Every single one of us has something in us that is uniquely us. There is something that is ours. It makes us who we are. It's a talent. It's an ability. It's a, it's a something. And we have to not just say, oh, that is from a previous life. That is from a different reality. That doesn't have any holiness. We need to find a way. If it's so us, we need to find a way to bring it to Hashem. We need to say, in this Elul, what is my fator? What is something that I'm attracted to that, that I'm a little afraid of? because I don't know exactly where, where it's going to go, but can I be brave and say, maybe it's time to free her. Maybe it's time for us to take that, which is beautiful and shiny and bring it back to Hashem. So I want to wish us all the love and all the courage to be able to, to be able to look honestly, to be able to see what it is that we have specifically and personally that we want to bring back to Hashem. We don't have to do the whole job. We have to make the first step of saying, I think that's what I want to tackle. Love you guys. I'm actually not going to see you next week, but I will see you in two weeks. Um, next week, I'm going to be traveling. So uh, Esther Shemto is going to be teaching class. And I will see you guys in two weeks. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Marco. Enjoy America. Thank you.